The number you have dialed three, has been changed. One, the new number three, is... What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bad With Names. I'm your host, Don Will, and I don't think there's going to be an intro this week, or at least not as long of an intro. Not because I don't want to talk, but because they're doing renovations on the apartment upstairs from me, and it literally sounds like I live under train tracks. Um, It's quiet right now. You'll be able to hear it in a second. I've been listening to it for hours on end. Like, I can't even fucking... I can't even watch Netflix. I can't watch TV. I can't can't record. I mean, I got to finish up this album. But yeah, you get what you pay for is on the way. But yeah, man, it's just really hard to even think straight in this motherfucker and they they pick the weekends to do this. But I guess they have to do it because you know, they can't remove the apartment unit, work on it and plug it back in. In a perfect world, they would be able to. But you know, my new landlord to trying to get as much rent as they can for these units and they can't get their units rented out for more money looking the way that they look inside the one that I live in. They're, the person upstairs is probably getting exposed brick walls. You, you hear that, right? You hear that? That's quiet. That, that's quiet compared to yesterday when they were ripping out the cabinets and slamming them on the ground or whatever the fuck they were doing or like banging the like it literally literally sounded like a train stopping <laughs> like for like two hours it was just two hours it was oh god it's so bad so um it's, it's it's super distracting and i really might just record these bits for you these buffers and go sit in a coffee shop and wait for pizza party to start because at least that way i can enjoy quiet kind of quiet well peaceful sounds you know what i'm saying i'd rather hear casual conver- casual conversations than a fucking circular saw this is torturous jesus gentrification sounds awful <laughs> but uh, this week's this week's podcast is a pretty cool one. I got I got my friend Lucid and Billy Woods in there, and we talked about their group Arm and Hammer, um, how the group formed, and why would I tell you about something you're about to listen to? Just get into it. So wait, Howard Howard is like almost like made like the White House where you have it's gated and you have like security guards at the entrances to places. Um. Right? From what I, from what that I is true, but then there's also the the dorm I was in was several blocks away from main campus. Yo, and you do need visitation. Okay, you're not you're not bugging. Yeah, okay, so it depends because if they're fresh, our dorm was kind of A and T. My dorm was a little bit more lenient. We used to, but we used to we had visitation. We would sneak people in though. Yeah, okay, so this we, is what I'm talking like, about. Like, yeah, because yeah, I'm I'll coming forget. from a liberal arts school in New York. I just been at for two years where it was like they were let. I mean we actually fucked it up because they were letting us just run wild and everybody just ran wild doing everything and eventually they like kicked kicked us out of school (laughs) you know because it was like i don't know people were like whole hall full of people doing heroin like uh, (laughs) oh shit well it was off the top it was it was wild i had never even seen it it was weird because i had never you know in high school i knew kids who started selling crack and coke but i hadn't really ever encountered heroin until i went to college and then all of these kids all of these kids were you know were, were deep into it and like eventually we had a drug dealer from the bronx who was like living on campus 
with this one girl and selling heroin. And anyway, long right story short, but he would come on, up on the weekends, and sometimes he came up with this other kid named Worm. Mm. <laughs> uh, worm, like a, worm sounds like somebody will hang with him. Yeah, like a seventeen. Like I don't know any worms. Kid with but I'm assuming if I ever met a worm, <laughs> yeah. he would know a heroin dealer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Dennis Rodman, his nickname was the Worm. He probably knows a couple heroin. I'm sure. <laughs> so anyway, the main point was just there was a big difference once you got to Howard. It was like if they're freshmen, freshmen have visitation rules, especially like since there were freshman girls in this dorm, and so that meant the whole dorm had visitation rules where you couldn't stay past midnight on a weekday. And past maybe yeah. two a.m. on a weekend. I yeah. forgot about. Unless that you had gotten special, you had to apply for a special thing of why this person was going to stay there. And so it was like I'd have people come through, and we're just getting blunted. And then you're like, "Shit, it's fucking twelve thirty. And so within a month of my first month there, I accrued enough of those that I'd lost my visitation. And so when people came to visit me, and I was near home too, so people would come to visit, and I would um. And I'd have to run through the dorm finding people who owed me favors or whatever yeah. or who wanted Shit, to smoke. And just really be like, sounds. yo, can you sign this person in? Can you sign this? And there was no cell phones or anything, you know? So you'd also call dorm people's dorm phones. Yeah, that's... Just be like, yo, if you sign up. my homie in, come smoke or whatever. Because I, I, I was telling y'all I left my phone today. like, And I'm thinking, like, maybe I should have left it just to see how peaceful my day would have been without my phone for a little while. But I probably would have been stuck in my head a little bit, like panicked. Back <laughs> your head. Where's my phone? Yeah. Get my phone. That's, That's just like, weird, man. How quickly it becomes human beings adapt to things, and quickly something that you didn't need. Uh, then it's like, what? What am I gonna do if I can't? Yeah. You know, and sometimes like, you find I find myself getting irritated at things where I'm like, what the? F you didn't even need that shit like X amount of years ago or whatever. Like now, sometimes if you have to send somebody an email. You'd be like, man, I'm going to have to type the whole email and call me when answer is Gchat, so now I got to type an email. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's actually a task yeah, to complain yeah. about. Yeah. We complain about the most mundane things, you know what I'm saying? But I think it's because, like, we've systematically peeled back our privacy a little bit to where, you know what I'm saying, to the point where now, like, you have to be on these. Like, when you meet somebody that's not on Facebook, like, people are surprised by somebody not being I'm not on Facebook. So that's I what I'm saying. Like, like and I know people that... I'm not really surprised by it because I feel like I feel like you seem like the kind of person that wouldn't be on Facebook. But like, whenever you meet somebody that's not on Facebook, they're just like people, people think it's like, weird. People do think it's yeah, weird. People it's think it's weird. People want to like creep on you and just like look at your life and go through your photo album. It's, it's kind of strange. Yeah, it's, it's like it's almost like a second. It's like like you want to do these background checks. Yeah, it is. You know what I'm saying? It, it is a background. It's check. made you, everybody into like. FBI, CIA, surveillance kind of mother. like like whenever I meet somebody the first thing I do is go to Facebook go to Twitter Google them I'll do whatever I have to do to figure out who the person is and it's weird that like I, it, for me it's rooted in more so in trying to figure out in networking you know what I'm saying when you get somebody's business card send them an email like whatever like nice to meet you blah 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 check out their website if you meet if I meet somebody in the world and they're just a person I just know their name. I'll go like do research on them, yeah. but that's lend itself to being like I just meet a girl. Like, oh, well, let me see who she is. Go look at her Instagram feed or <laughs> be on Tinder or some shit. For I mean, I guess for the person that maybe you look, you actually got to know how true to their their online persona versus like the real life persona was it. You know what I mean? Did it really match up? I would say most times, with within a couple within a couple like. Like 10, 20% of each time. Like, yeah, matched up. Yeah. Like, I've never got, I've been catfished, or I've never met a person where it was just like, yo, this motherfucker's like living a lie. What the hell are they doing online? Usually I meet people 
who are not really heavy on the internet. You know what I'm saying? Because when I meet people that are heavy on the internet, I've known before. Because I'm, I like, I'm, a, I love the internet. I'm an internet kind of person. It fascinates me. Like I, I tried all the social media sites. I'm a Twitter dude, Facebook. I don't Facebook how, as how, much. How, how far you go back though? Black Planet era. I was Black Planet. I was AOL chat room. I had a Black Planet page in '99. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> I had one in 99, too. I, w- I wonder, can you, are they still up there, the old Black Planet pages? I don't know, man. I, I kind of want to go look. I'm going to go check tonight, see if my Black Planet page is still <laughs> I was like the last person to get on the internet, and it's weird, because now, for my, for like, work and various aspects, I use it so much. But it is strange, because it, like, it cuts both ways. The same way, like, people will be like, oh, they're shocked that I'm not on, they'll be shocked that I'm not on Facebook or whatever, and then I, to me, it's like, I haven't ever had it, so I don't really think about it much. Yeah. But then there are other situations where it'll be like, uh, like when I was at home, somebody will start mentioning somebody, and you're like, shit, I haven't even thought of that person, you know, in a million years. Some girl you knew in high school, or whatever situation, and they're like, oh yeah, they had a kid, and they married this person, and they yeah. live out here. And then you're like, oh, they just know that off Facebook. And I'm a curious person. So in some ways, I, I am curious. And I'm like, but I can't look at that because I'm also not on Facebook. Yeah. Right. So I don't have any way to, like, yes. investigate. So, you know, because he's on those shits and doesn't even do anything from what I understand except I, lurk I, and I, look I, at other people. I, I, I'm on everything. I'm on you everything, have, but I'm not active on anything. You have a profile. You do. You have, like, you have Tumblr. I'm, you have Instagram. Everything. All that shit. But, everything. Before and I'll, I'll forget you there until you put up a, you'll it. tweet some shit, like, yeah, <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just get on to like see caramel lattes or some shit. Like, what the fuck are you talking I about? Never caramel like, you know what I'm saying? You'll, you'll tweet really random yeah, 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 fragments yeah. of thoughts, and it's just like, what the fuck is going on over there with this nigga? <laughs> I forget you have a Tumblr. Yeah, but yeah, so yeah. I feel when like I first met you. You were one of the. F- I mean, this is how oblivious I am. I feel like he was one of the first people I met who had a Tumblr. So I remember uh, we exchanged some email about something after we met, and there was, like, the Cobra Tooth thing. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, I'll click that link, because he had it at the bottom of his email. Yeah. And that was probably one of the first times I ever even went to Tumblr. Yo, so how did y'all end up meeting anyway? Like, what's the origin story? By the way, well, what's the origin story for Arm & Hammer? You know what I'm saying? Like, because I just, I feel like the name just, I knew the name. and It's then funny, because it like, we're actually in the place where we met. Yeah. Oh yeah. shit! Word. Right. So we're, uh, the we're first in time, the birthplace. The first time so, was um, at so, the end of every year. Uh, backwards, the record label, backwards, and um, along with Uncommon Music. Backwards is yours. Is it uncommon right? music. It's Un- early in the morning, music. man. I, I'm it is crazy. uncommon. Uncommon. Backwards music. is yours, right? Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. I started it, and now I have a part. I've had a partner for the last since maybe like two thousand. Five. I started it in two thousand one, um, and now there's more people involved. But yeah, so backwards, uncommon music. At the time, it was just those two. I think um, we're we're do this end of the year show, and li- and since then we've had other people uh, come on board. What's it called? Reservoir. Um, you didn't you perform at it once? It's called. It's called Yule Prague. Yule Prague, yes. yeah, Yule yeah. Prague. I was supposed to perform at it, but I was in Cincinnati, oh, so I, I think remember. Vaughn came through. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, we we do this Yule Prague show. NASA really came up with it, and he's he's a um, 
He is uh, both one of the most difficult and annoying people to have an argument with and a great proponent of underground hip-hop in New York City. Yeah, he's... And um, just an, an, and an active... Talk about internet dudes. He yeah, is on the I, internet. I, I, uh, to touch on the argument, I've never had an argument with him, but I've seen him on Twitter. And I, like, like, He's got to average about 100 tweets a day. Yeah, I, I would never want to argue with that dude. Well, general. this is the thing. I mean... He likes to argue on Twitter because you can't have a substantive argument on Twitter. Yeah. If I, I <laughs> he'll try to argue with me by text what? about sports or whatever, and then I'll call him. He won't answer the phone <laughs> because he knows that if it's kept to a certain number of characters, eventually I'm gonna be like, "Fuck this." He knows his arena. Yeah, like, he yeah, knows so where he'll win. You he know won't answer the phone. I'm like, man, I'm not gonna text. He's not the Bo Jackson of arguing. I'm he not sticks gonna... to one form of communication. <laughs> he'll text you, or when you call, dude, it's like, no, ignore. Um, anyway, so he 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 uh, he was instrumental in setting it up. And he came to Backwoods and was like, would you guys be interested in doing this? Like throwing an end of the year show every year. And it was like, cool. And um, and so we started doing it. And one of the early ones, our first one at Southpaw probably, he, because he's on the internet, he's really scouring for talent and people much more um, than I guess I am and that Backwoods which generally, you know, we, we sometimes, to be honest, we've stumbled onto people that we've worked with or artists that we've done stuff with because uh, I guess me and my partner are a lot of times not at that cutting edge to a certain extent of NASA's always looking for new shit. Yeah. Whereas I'm like off daydreaming or whatever. Like NASA, I, I would say, I guess, and NASA thinks more like a traditional record label, like scouting artists a little bit, whereas you kind of look at a label, an artist-ran label where you're doing shit for yourself. So it's about, you know, it's about trying to... Well, no, we're fine because we have done, put out other artists, but it's just like, I'm just not as active as he is. Okay. So a lot of times it's other people, like even now, it's more likely that Elusive will be like, have you heard this? Yeah, but and Elusive, then I'll hear it. He hears everything. That's not fair because Elusive just hears shit. Yes, like he'll hear I'll be some out shit, there, man. I'll Him, be out there. I don't understand. Like, I, like literally, I don't understand how like niggas like you, Elusive and Shay Graham, my other homie Shay, like will literally know about the most. It'll be a person with one follower on SoundCloud and fifteen plays. Like, yo, check this out. And next week it'll be at a million spins. You know what straight I'm saying? Up, straight up. I don't understand how they have this. Elusive like, does that. This cat Despot that I know I, was I know always Despot, yeah. the first person to say some shit where you're like, like I, he was the first person to ever tell me about Earl Sweatshirt and at that time like Earl Sweatshirt was like like nobody barely anyone had watched that video that first video views. yeah it was crazy I'm, see I'm, I'm, I'm in the and, second uh, wave like I'm the person right behind Elusive where Elusive will be like check it out I'm the dude right behind him that like I'm like oh y'all should check this out but I'm never the first one. I'm like the fourth person. So NASA, <laughs> NASA was the first one to tell me about Death Grips. Yeah. Like way before he was like, I'm listening to this crazy shit. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so he's that type of person. So uh, we're setting the lineups and, you know, I'm like, oh, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, I, there's this artist named Elucid who's really dope who I think we should get on there. And I was like, all right, cool. And it worked out in some way where Elucid ended up being the headliner, even though we weren't technically... I had no songs out. Yeah, you weren't what, technically... Around what, was I, that think the other person, I think the other person who... The most famous person went right before Elucid, and they had some sort of time commitment where they couldn't go last or something like that. And two, so, two questions real quick. Was that... Elucid, what period was that? Was that with the spaceships over... Yeah, mm, yeah it was around that time. Sub-based diet... Sub-based diet, okay, yeah. yeah. Sub-based diet was crazy. Yeah. And also, 
Was that when Yul Prague was at that uh, restaurant? No, it's like, right no, here. No, no, no. It oh, right oh, South Park. It had just moved to South Park. Okay, okay. I'm thinking about time. the restaurant that you used to perform at from time to time. Like right off of Myrtle, I think. Restaurant. Uh, maybe it's like, like Five Spot Cafe or something like that. It was that. like some Spanish spot or some shit. Cantalina, whatever. I don't remember. Right. <laughs> okay, so anyway, he was he was the last person to rock at that show. At the time, I was still in a group, I think. Yeah, I think uh, Super Crown. Was yeah, still I was happening. still in this group, whatever. And um, and so anyway, he went last, and I remember uh, I hadn't checked out any of the music, being the oblivious person that I am. NASA said, "This dude is good. Let's have him on there." I was like, "Word." Uh, that was. Was Homeboy Sandman at that one? Or no. that was the other one? No, nah, I think no. he was not there. Okay. Because that was also the first Homeboy Sandman. First time I ever saw him was at Yule Prague. And then like two years later, he was on. Was that the first time you'd ever heard of Homeboy Sandman? Yeah, I, I knew nothing about Oh, this. wow. Okay, so you are like the fourth person. Yeah. I, <laughs> this was also a long time ago, though. Because yeah, yeah. at, at that point, the only song I think Homeboy Sandman had that was kind of big was like Lightning Bolt. Yeah, he was still doing that. Yeah. Yeah, you're still but doing yeah. the train, plastering yeah. with the flyer. Thing. Yeah, I remember Homeboy Sandman had the most obnoxious but amazing like uh, promo, like with the, on the, the flyers on the train. Yeah, I just remember being like, "What is this shit? Who is this dude?" Uh, I, I never forget that. Actual, factual pterodactyl. I think I was just like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> but it stuck. You know what I'm saying? It stuck hard. I mean, clearly he uh, he both had a uh, an inexhaustible work ethic. Yeah, a lot of talent. And an ability to highlight those things for people, uh, which is uh, to his credit, because no, definitely within years after that, uh, Homeboy Sandman was arguably bigger than anyone that performed at that Yule Prague he was at, and he was like the third act. Yeah, and like two years later, he was on on his way to Stone's Throw. Oh no, I guess two years later he was doing. I forget that right. Anyway, back to the story. Um, so it was just one of those times. So I'm like, let me see this dude perform. And Elusa came out. And I remember also because it's the sort of type of thing when, when you're at indie rap shows, there aren't a lot of uh, black women there generally. Very true. Um, <laughs> in New York City. Or otherwise women. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's not that way in other places. Because when I rocked in San Francisco, that was like the most Yo. women that had ever... Yeah, see, San Francisco was like an a anomaly. gang of black lesbians there San Francisco and Latino is definitely lesbians an there to see in me. Filipino. I was like, yes, yep. here we go. <laughs> yep. they, had the, they, had, they had weed for me and everything. Anyway. Um, Yay area. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, so I wait, and I remember he was rocking, and there were like five black women there who were like excited to see him perform, and I was like, all right, so dude is clearly doing something That's right. co-sponsored by Miss Jessie's. You know, I don't, I don't know what was going on but I was like man these girls are cute anyway he rocked it was a great set and I was like man that was really impressive and then I went home and I watched that video either that night or the next day I watched that video um sign of the times different automatic hair writing. yeah automatic writing Shout out and I was like, this is fucking great I mean it was a great video Ali great video and uh and one of my favorite elusive songs and so then I was like, oh, shit, I should do something with this dude. And hit him up. And then we did a song, and I got blown out of the water. Is that and Freeman's I Bureau? Like, I, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no I didn't get That's usually what makes big groups. Freeman's Bureau? I don't know. No, no. I don't know what you consider blown out, was, but I think uh, that was the first it was song, Bank though. of America. Okay. And then I was like, man, I had a pretty good verse, but I was destroyed here. 
And so then I was like, all right, I need to approach this more carefully. Yeah. And so then we did some songs, and then he was like, we did some joints for, I was just starting to do my solo shit because the group had collapsed ignominiously. And, um, and then I did something for his co-favorite shit. And I don't really remember. I think it was my idea that we do. But then when I suggested it, of course, Lucid was like, yeah, I was thinking that. So I was like, all right. It's one of, just one of those natural fits that kind of just happened. Yeah. yeah. But it was definitely like uh, I had not heard any music or anything. It was a live performance where I was like, this shit is really good yeah, and I'm, different. I'm know? really into yeah. that. I'm really into judging rappers based on their live show. Because yeah. a, a lot of people was like, I dig, you know, you know, the recorded, but like, let me see it live and feel it. Something that, that comes across. Yep. Yeah, so there's certain artists out there that are like, I, I prefer their live show more than their, their recorded material, you know? For sure. I, I think that the live show, I think the video has kind of replaced the live show for a lot of artists. Yeah. Like, they kind of rely heavy on, heavily on, like, manufactured the visuals illusion. that can be played in repetition, you know what I'm saying? At, at the listeners, just, like, whenever they want to hear it, versus coming to a show and, like, feeling a person's energy and yeah. seeing them on stage and, like, you know what I'm saying? Because it's easier to, it's easier to, like, manufacture a feeling like when you have like it's directed and produced. Right. Well, right. It, that, that's debatable. At the, just to play devil's advocate, my favorite job. Um, that's debatable because you could also say, at the same time, there's aspects to which like there are people who I think you could have difficulty getting that across in a video just because you either lack the money or True. the friends with the expertise and willingness to like do now, shit bar for you. Now, barring technicalities, I mean, just like that person, their energy, what they give across live or on camera, you know? No, but I'm, saying, I'm saying there are people who it could be like their videos suck and they're actually good. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's, I'm just saying that's the technicality. You know, I'm even like me going to see automatic, me going to watch that automatic writing video, if you didn't know Ali, and I mean not to, you are also a person who draws eclectic people to you, but one could argue, if you didn't know Ali, the video wouldn't have... It wouldn't have been hot. It wouldn't have been as different and emblematic. in front of a wall, like... <laughs> it might have been fine, but the combination of seeing a good performance and then coming home, I do have to say, coming home and seeing that video was big to me because I was like... The, the, it, it brought the vision of the song fully to life. And yeah, it was mysterious and interesting. And so it, it, it added something. Whereas, I mean, there are probably people I, you know, I feel like for a significant portion of shit that I was doing, I never had very good visuals, you know, yeah. and, uh, and things like that, where you're like, man, I don't know if these visuals actually my early career and even maybe even at later points, depending on who you're asking, I don't know if these visuals have enhanced the product that I'm putting forth. Enhanced. I'm I'm at a point where I'm I'm like toying with doing my own visuals. Do it. Just simply out of necessity. You know what I'm saying? Like I am tired of asking people to shoot videos and like yeah. working on schedules. And I have access to cameras and shit. And I have the editing software. I'm on the same shit right now, man. But I'm just on that I'm at that point where I like do I'm like, do I really want to do this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like cause yeah. you put a lot of man hours into it and might not love the end, the end result. But you learn something at the end of the day. It's also it's important. I feel like it's also important to um you know, there are things where it's like, okay, I'm gonna undertake I feel like I'm gonna undertake this myself. And then there are also things where it's like Probably I should get someone who knows what you know, because sometimes I'm at least I know like rappers guide your like, hand a little bit at first. It's like him. I'm gonna produce myself, do my own videos, <laughs> do my own Ableton <laughs> setup, and then it's like, of course, the album never comes out, man, because you need somebody who knows. I'm gonna mix and you know, at certain yeah. points, you need to say, 
some people can do all that, and then there are other people like me. I never tried to make beats because I'm like, to actually make the beats I want to make, I would have a lot to learn. Yep. And like putting in that work will probably take away. I know it's not going to take away from my weed smoking time, so probably <laughs> take away from other productive time that I could Switch. be putting into being a better rapper or, you know, running the record label better nah, or whatever. You, but you, you but know like, what's funny. But like when you depending what your capabilities things, are, like yeah. you made you started making your own beats and they're, yeah, and I they're was, dope. I was so, just gonna say like I've never looked at the Lucid like in the producer role, and like when I look at the album credits, I'm like he's all over the production, which yeah, is yeah, for yeah. me, which is like kind of. Both inspiring and a little bit like a shock. Like, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I've always kind of toyed around with it. I yes. still, I wouldn't even call myself a producer, but it's more like, like I know what I want to hear. I got a sound in my head, and it's just like to explain it to someone is like pretty difficult. And it's just like, yeah, I just, I just do it myself. You know what I mean? I got some primitive equipment. I can take a loop. I got vinyl. I got a sampler. I got a keyboard. You know what I mean? I can, I got the basics. And then my brother's like an incredible musician. He can help me out with what I don't know how to do you know see uh, would but you would you say like, that your brother being around kind of helps you like get into that mode a little bit like if, sure, if you were just because yeah. now i guess were, were you doing it before you and your brother like yeah okay like, always always like i can't remember in a family like that my my uncle was like a dj and you know there was always like equipment around when we go see him you know what i mean he's always been yeah. producing and djing i was always there like i learned how to cut and i was like single digits you know what i mean like eight nine oh, years shit. old you know so like it's, it's always been there but I'm an MC. Yo, so all right, a, a brief origin story. I want to brief because I know that like when I'm, I knew about you. Vaughn gave me the one of your like early, early elusive mixtapes. I, I stumbled across that shit the other day too. Oh wow! But I feel like you're a bit of an enigma. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, like, I, I just know you. You know what I'm saying? Like you, yeah. I've known you for a long time, but I don't really know the history. Word. And I'm sure my listeners and the listeners want to know the history of both you and Billy. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 you could call me Woods, so Woods, but let's not stand on ceremony. <laughs> I want to add a question to your question, okay? Which is because to me, as part of answering that, I'm curious about like when I think about Lucid, like you said, everybody who's a fan of Lucid has a different entry point, yeah, and all of the entry points and projects are radically different, yeah. yeah, because I feel like there's that super early stuff which I came in at the very tail end because you could probably say Sub Bass Diet is the tail end of. Like the early stuff. I never heard smash and grab and those oh, sorts okay. of things. Progress. Um, which, <laughs> which are kind of like the a mishmash of minimalism. And like before that, he was doing stuff over other people's beats. And then there's like the concrete sound system, jungle, extra noisy Dope. shit. Noise. And then after that, there's Madman Only, which is nothing like what he's doing now. Yeah. So I just I find it interesting also how that evolution. See, works. my point of place, man. My point right, of entry. Answer your question now. I just wanted to add on to it. <laughs> I'll, I'll give my point of entry first though. My point of entry was like I don't even. It, I think it was progress. Yeah. I think because I, I want to say what's that one like? You were like rapping over other people's beats, if I'm okay. not mistaken. Uh, some of it was other people's beats. Some someone was real. Like there was a heat makers joint on there that I kind of had. I connect with and I got heat makers beat that they weren't using. <laughs> it was like right mm, in the middle or towards the tail end of like the dip set. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. I was real geek to get the heat, heat makers beat on there. So yeah, we did something. I went like to that. college like, with those dudes. Yeah, uh, the heat makers beat. Yeah, yeah, original. Yeah. Like I caught his shit because Vaughn sent me a, a CD in the mail. I've never heard. So what does this sound? What does pro? I've never even heard progress. I can send it to you. I still. There's one yeah. song that sticks out. The beat is like doom, 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 doom. 
and it's like got the little sprinkly wind chime <laughs> I guess I mean stylistically yo I really I haven't even heard that record in so long man yo like, stylistically it was like some kind of dark grimy street sounding shit it sounded like some shit you would play after midnight you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying yeah yeah I, I was probably was, like at that time like uh, I'm still a huge Beanie Siegel fan yeah. Styles P so it was like in, in that in that range but not as uh maybe like rugged ignorant Willfully ignorant type shit, and the cadence was always just there, the, but just the production style and the, the, and the flow. But and I yeah, was, I was gonna say your vocal tone is definitely it's it's more gruff and it's it's more yeah, like yeah, yeah. you sound more like you sound more like yourself if that if that makes yeah. any sense. But like back then, like lyrically, nothing could fuck with it. You know what I'm saying? But he he definitely like his his voice matured. Like he's, he's like he got it was, more, a little, it was a little higher pitch back then right. too. Uh, <clears throat> I was like a. Uh, I don't think I even smoke weed at the time. <laughs> uh, Vordo used to say rappers, all rappers come in shouting. Yeah, I was yeah. definitely a shouter. And then you like, because you don't, you don't, shouting. you don't understand that there's a mic yeah. in front of you. you know uh, <laughs> Although then also sometimes it's like you look back in the early joints to be like, ah, that even though I was shouting on that, there's some energy in that. that yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> sure. I'm not sure I could summon that up today at the ripe old age. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I was I was having this conversation last night. I think that early on, you have this mentality where you just want to push a button and see what it does. Like you just are curious artistically. Whereas, and then the further you go, you kind of decide what buttons you want to push. You know what I'm saying? You kind of like I don't want to fuck with this side of the thing because I know what it'll do over there. I'm gonna deal with these buttons that I understand. You know. So I know that creatively, right now, I'm in a space where. Half of the shit I was doing earlier in my career, like earlier when I first started, I just wouldn't do it. Like now, it's just stylistically something I wouldn't even attempt because I don't feel like it's me. Because I have this yeah. sense of identity, I guess, from just being an adult and getting further and further away from that person, you know? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, tell that, us I this think, origin story. I think, I think that's that's probably how I think of like uh, each project, though. You know what I mean? That's why each project maybe seem like it's radically different. I never want to go back and like retread what I've already done. That makes sense. So like... Uh, Sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's not. But I know it just seems like every project is just a little, little bit different. Like we just talked about that before, and just like what makes like you know, just challenging yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's really important as an artist to challenge yourself and try something new, get out of your comfort zone a little bit, see what you can dig up. You know? Yeah, yeah. All right. So the origin, the origins of Elusive. Let's go. <laughs> I was Lucy was born in night <laughs> uh, born and raised in Queens my family moved to Long Island when I was like 13 I uh, came back to New York City I was living downtown Manhattan for school and like uh, and I've been here ever since live in Brooklyn Manhattan come from a family of musicians my mom sang with Grace Jones my dad is an ill bass player my brother's like a crazy drummer and uh yeah Word. So, like, how long would you say you've been, I guess, I guess that means you've been doing music forever. Forever. <laughs> like, literally forever. That's like, crazy. Yeah. Because I, I, my, my interest in the music was a decision. It was like, you know what I'm saying? It was just like something I was fucking around with. And then post-college, I was like, I think I'm going to try to do music now. Yeah, you know it's, always, it's always something that I've like, just done, just like even hanging out. I mean, like, you know, remember like yeah. junior high school, just in the lunchroom, like fucking around, rapping with your friends, sort of a thing. You know what I mean? It's always like been around, but like consciously, like I'm going to make music for me probably was like, I don't know, maybe like early 2000s or something. Okay. I feel like um, the internet, I saw like outlets. Before that, I was just like selling tapes to friends. Yeah. I do like little bullshit open mics. You know what I mean? We got to sell tickets. 
to like <laughs> perform. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know, I know. Like, so <laughs> That's how you make your money. You sell like tickets. selling cassette tapes, and then yeah. CDRs came. So I'm selling like little bullshit CDs, and then like internet, like 2000, 2001, and I was like, hmm. But if you're and doing like, shows and and making cassettes at that point, surely it was cool. It was it's cool, but I, I, I slightly I, beyond the hobby. Or no? I guess, but I mean, it was just like, this is what I do, like, I, I record, why can't someone buy it from me? <laughs> you know, it was just like a little hustle, you know? Like, okay. not a main hustle, but it was just something there, like, I'll sell this. But then I just saw, like, internet, like, I could sell to someone in Brazil, Germany, you know? I, w- I would say, because even for me, man, I, I never even let my friends hear shit. Like, I didn't start coming into my own musically until college. Like, when I, me and Ilya started living together, so it was like a house of two people doing music together. But I was kind of scared to let people, like, hear what I was writing and hear what I was working on for a long time. Because, I, I, like, a lot of people didn't know me as a dude who wanted to do music. I'm still that way, though. Like, scared to let people hear shit? Yeah, I don't, I, don't like, I don't let people hear shit until it's done. I don't like to hear it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. sometimes things that I like or things that I don't like... Um, like yo, that's your best shit. That's usually what people like. like see, yeah, I, 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 see, I don't know. Whatever, you know, and things that I'm really, really, really into. People like, eh. yeah. But I don't let people hear. I don't like to hear people hear shit until it's complete. You know. That's funny because I think of you, and maybe that just shows exactly what sort of a misanthrope I am, like hiding alone in a basement. But I think of a lucid <laughs> as being really like open-minded to playing people's stuff. As I'd be like. I don't know. I dated people who were like, I've heard two songs off your album and it's almost done. You know, because yeah. I just, sometimes I'm just like, I don't know, I get really, uh, I really get into just being like, oh, well, I don't want to play things for people out of context at times. And actually knowing him, I feel like I've loosened up somewhat because we do Arm & Hammer songs. And I'm not talking about strangers, but like I wouldn't even send producers to shit back in the day yeah. before I knew him. And then I would he'd be like, you know, some mutual friend or some producer who ne- didn't even necessarily produce that song would be like, I heard that shit you did, it's dope. And I'm like, what shit, what's going on? <laughs> and, you know, like you feel like somebody just like, went through your like, drawers and stuff. Like a Sony, you know? it's like the Sony leak or some shit. You know, whatever. <laughs> but, like, but then, you know, I, I feel like I, re- at least working with him, I've relaxed where it's like, when we do Arm & Hammer projects, I know that certain people will be like, oh, I heard this or that. And it's fine. You know, yeah, it's, it's just all in my head worrying about stuff. Yeah. But even with my own solo stuff, it's like, I feel like I'm more open to letting people hear it now, but still, uh, it wouldn't ever be somebody who's not involved in it in some way, I guess. So, like, along the same token, like, what's, what's the Woods origin story? You know what I'm saying? Like, where... Uh, in terms of when I started rapping? Yeah, like, like, when you started rapping and where music came into your life, I guess. So um... Well, when uh, uh, when we moved back to the United States, um, I guess uh, that was really my first introduction to. I was I was turning thirteen, and um, and so I'd listened to lots of music before, but that's really the age where you start being like, I'm gonna you know forging your own identity yeah. in a lot of yeah. different ways. And then also I was moving back here and uh, I had a lot of adjusting to do with the way that things are in America. Um, and so part of that was like, okay, you know, music became something that I turned to like the, for my first night here, actually, 
my first night moving back to the U.S. I'm about I'm 12 years old, and then I saw the um, I saw uh, do the right thing. Okay. And that movie just blew me away on <laughs> it's multiple levels. Of first know, night. And, uh, yeah, it, it blew me away Still on multiple levels. Actually. It was, it was, you know? it was uh, and I'm a big Spike Lee fan. Although Red, that Red Hook movie was awful. That was horrible. Man! I mean, he just that totally fumbled so the ball on so many levels. But anyway, to, to stay on topic. Okay. Uh, the, We're coming back to that. We, we, we should. We should. <laughs> I'm more than happy to discuss <laughs> Mr. Lee's career and uh, uh, its highlights and its lowlights, one of which would be that movie. One of which would definitely be Red Um So anyway, we... Um, we move back here. I see that movie, and I'm just blown away by Public Enemy. First tape I ever bought was uh, "It Takes a Nation of Millions." Um, That's the first tape you ever bought. First piece of music I ever bought for myself in my life. Oh shit! Uh, it was probably a week. So that's, after. A, that's a good choice. That's a, good, that's a nice cop. Because we moved and stayed with some friends of the family <coughs> on my mother's on the Jamaican side. They lived in PG County. Um, and then, after a couple of weeks, my mom rented an apartment uh, in Montgomery County, and so we moved there, and we were living in these apartments, and next to the apartments was uh, this place, Kemp Mill Music, and uh, not next to it, but like a 10-minute walk, and I walked down yeah. there and bought the cassette of It Takes a Nation of Millions, and then I, I bought Fear of a Black Planet after that. So those were the first two things I ever, I ever owned. Um, and uh, and I was just really, really blown away by it all. And just with my family history, it been a lot of stuff about like revolution and things like that really resonated with me and was interesting. And so I was really into Public Enemy. And then uh, from there, I was just really into music for a long time. And I was always really into the lyrics, like those Public Enemy albums. It would always be the cassette had a fold out with all the lyrics inside. and. Um, and I, I was into a lot of those records, but I really didn't start thinking about doing it myself until I met uh, Vortal Mega from Campbell Ox. Okay. Um, which I met him through nothing to do with music. He was dating, he, he was friends with the girl that I was dating, and um, I met her in college, and then she convinced me to come live in Harlem with her instead of moving home, and that was my first, I was 18. Uh, and I was living in Harlem, and then she knew this kid, and I didn't even know that he rapped for a while. Yeah, he's you know? a pretty good rapper. Too. Yeah, no, <laughs> and then he went, pretty but he was like a too. teenager. He was in high school. Okay. And um, and uh, which was didn't matter because all of those dudes were like doing that shit from like way young, you know. And then we developed a friendship, and he was the type of person who would always be like. Oh, you rap or what? You like he'd always want to freestyle and just be like, and you know you'd be like you can actually rap. I am garbage. And, but, yeah, yeah. You know then you'd be like, well, I'll try because he made it feel accepted and like made you feel situation, like you know. Yeah. And so then, uh, and then I wrote, I wrote my first rhyme of my own. I guess in 1997, the summer of 1997, in a. Uh, in a place in, in, in Maine, in Kennebunkport, Maine. <laughs> that's I a nice was, place to ride. I was around. working in a, <laughs> a Bill Clinton like vacation? No, that's where the Bushes <laughs> live. That's where the Bushes Bush? live. Okay, I knew it was a presidential but, uh, This guy, Alexander Richter, who's now a famous photographer. Yeah, I know Richter. Yeah, so uh, he had taken pity on me 
and uh, and I, I I went back to uh, I met him. He was younger than me. I met him in college, and I went back to Maine. I worked at this hotel. He's from Maine, and she so was like, "Yo, you should just come back here," because I didn't want to go back to D.C. in the summer for reasons we were just elaborating. Yeah, yeah. It's just that being around your high school friends will get you nowhere. <laughs> Depend, you know, unless maybe if you went to high school in County Bunkport, man, yeah, it could be useful. But um, anyway, so it was just cool. It was a cool experience in my life, and I was working at this laundromat, and I wrote my first rhyme. He informed me that it was not very good. Uh, Alexander? Yes, yes. I still hold that over him because he was he he was but not you, encouraging. You don't have to say it, but do you remember the first rhyme you wrote? Like I remember a line that was in it. I remember, I remember mine, and I'm not gonna say the it. whole thing. I remember like the first eight bars. Oh uh, no, I remember one line that had to do with Fidel Castro. I'm not going to say it. it's pretty cheesy, and uh, that's it. But I wrote it. It didn't have a long I'm life. Try, I'm, I wrote trying, it. I'm trying in my mind. I'm trying to think of what the line. Could I be. wrote it. I rhymed it to my friend. Like the only, I was like, okay, you know, I'm feeling nervous about this. Rhymed it to him. He was like, mm, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and so that, which that is why like, you don't let anybody hear you. <laughs> Full circle. That was the end of that one. And then for it's funny because it's totally different because I was late to the internet, so for years and recording for years, I was just writing rhymes and like rapping them in the park or alone or with this friend I had, uh, Thrill Gate, who, who, who we rhymed together for a little while and um, then he quit. Um, but anyway, I was writing rhymes for probably three years, longer than that, before I ever recorded one. Damn. Um, yeah, I, you, I probably didn't even use the internet for the first you know time what? until like 2000. Three. What's funny is like recording raps in the early 2000s, late 90s, it was a lot more difficult. Like recording in general was a lot more difficult because it wasn't as simple as like you buy a MacBook and you have GarageBand. It was you find somewhere to go. Somebody has That's studio equipment. For studio you pay for studio time. And even if it's $25, $50, you have to like make time out of your day to like do this thing. Versus so a lot of companies started making like little um, like home box recording yeah, yeah. gigs, rigs that you could just buy a couple hundred dollars and record in your closet. And even like, the, like the Tascam 4-track, I, right, I got one the of those. Track or like the 4-track, that was like early digital, like the Rollins, like the VS, yeah. like that was like around, right around that time. I had like a little Boss recorder, um, yeah, about the size of this laptop. So your first album dropped when you were like eight years old. Because <laughs> <laughs> an album from he was eight or some shit. Nah, the first one was like 16, about 16 years old. I recorded it in my uncle's closet. Yeah, that's wild because, I mean, by the, I, I, yeah, I hadn't even, I mean, by the time I actually record, I must be like 20, uh, I must be like 23 or 24. You were, I was like 20, around the age 25, 26 or something. Okay. No, actually, no. no I'm not no. talking about an album, just, just heard yeah, my like voice. In the, in the studio recording. Yes. Actually, the first time I ever recorded, we were at, at uh, college. My homeboy, my homeboy uh, who taught me how to actually make beats and like even like studio techniques and everything, he had a four track. And this was like my sophomore year, junior year in college. So this was like late 90s and dude just we were we did a little ep in his, in his apartment but i remember that was the first time i'd ever heard my so voice you were like record. 21 yeah okay yeah 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 because the first time you hear it 
you're like, what the fuck? That's what I sound Did like. Did you hate your voice the first this time? This is fucking terrible. I was. I'm not even front. Like I was just fascinated. Like this is what I sound like. Yeah. Like I hate my voice now. Sometimes when I like when I listen to the screaming raps. Like when I was still like, like that shit, I'm like, uh, like the whole Moonlighting album, I can't listen to it, yo. Because it sounds so young and it sounds so like. Well, let me ask you a question because, uh, and I mean, uh, I don't know your, our fan bases don't really collide that, that much. So I don't know how they feel, but it's that I remember when that album came out and how that was like uh, lauded in so many ways and how, um, and so is that something that you felt like is over you guys or did you you know is there a fan base that's always like moonlighting 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 there, there's definitely a fan base that stopped at moonlighting and there are definitely people that like they tweet at me and they'll tweet one moonlighting song and i'm like have you heard anything beyond that and they're like no you she know what i'm saying back on that moonlighting shit yeah like but the, so for us for for everybody i'll say for me for me me in specific um Moonlighting, I I can't really listen to it because there are like a couple songs on there where I just my vocal performance I'm I just hear all the mistakes. Like I hear the fact that it wasn't mixed properly, or I hear the fact that I didn't really want that take to be the take, but I just wasn't aware of how you make an album. So Brooklyn Natty was the album where we I feel like me and Vaughn and Ilias all agree that's the album we perfected what we were trying to do. Like Moon, Brooklyn Natty was just like okay, this is what Moonlighting was supposed to be like like sonically and like for me on Brooklyn Addy a large part of writing was even um it was just like being as as clear as possible vocally like my diction like making sure that I took my I peeled my accent back a little bit I remember so people, that. yeah 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 you, you lost that I lost my like draw but it's yeah. definitely the accent I, I took that, that shit out yeah, remember yeah, how yeah, we yeah. were talking about mid and you were like midwestern accent didn't, didn't we just have that conversation something similar or something like that yeah 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 so you hear what I'm saying it's like a southern accent with a twang it's not, it's not southern with a twang though it is they're, they're, I, I can't put my finger on, on how to exactly describe well it, it certainly would be closer to I can't pull. It, it would, he's trying to say a Cincinnati accent. No, I was just saying the like, Midwestern African American accent is Southern with a Midwestern twang. Get yep. that. Like so, people think I'm usually from Atlanta or California. Like I get, I, I get stuck between hair those two California connection. <laughs> 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 it is definitely the hair, but um, and and there's definitely like when I'm watching. So Cincinnati people usually pop up on court TV shows. <laughs> and whenever it's, uh, I can't explain. Like Judge Hatchet and Judge, what's the dude's name? The dude from Chicago, Judge Mathis. Judge, Judge Mathis. Brown. <laughs> anytime I'm when Judge Joe Brown, sometimes too. Anytime I'm watching those shows, and I don't even have to watch them. Like I just hear it, and I hear a person speak. I'm like, oh, they're from Cincinnati. And then they'll usually say something like they'll they'll like mention a landmark, or they'll say something about being from Cincinnati. And I'm like, yep. Like it's it's a thing. Like you can just I can tell the accents because they're really specific and really native. And we were talking about Cincinnati a little bit before too. It's this kind of mid-major city where it's big enough to be a tour stop, but it's not the first tour stop. So like Jay Z will go there to perform. You know what I'm saying? Or like I don't know Taylor Swift or somebody will perform there. But it's definitely not like the Chicago, L.A. Houston, it's just the secondary date. You know what I'm saying? It's not Dayton. No, no, no disrespect to Dayton. But, <laughs> but I would say in the hierarchy of cities, you have Cleveland's the city that's always people. Cleveland. Yeah, people just think Cleveland is the only city in, in Ohio. It's just like if you say you're from Columbus or you say you're from Cincinnati, they're like, oh, Cleveland. Columbus is the capital, so and it has OSU, so it's like the, the big college town. And Cincinnati is just kind of like it doesn't have an identity. It's just like a city tucked away with a funny ass name, but 
Yeah, I, I kind of lost the question. I think. <laughs> um, no, I was just I was just talking about. To me, it's interesting because I'm an artist who's never had. There was I didn't start off my career with any like. I started off my career with albums that like a certain group of people would be like, yo, I love that record. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it wasn't like critical attention, fans, anything like that. Like my career has very much been, if you could even call it a career, a slow build. So there's no record that people come to me and are like, there's no like, you know, it's the opposite of like Cannibal, you know, Vortal, my friend. It's like you make this joint off the top that creates some sort of cultural shift or... It's yeah. part of a cultural shift that people associate with all of these things. Yeah. Like, I have individual people who come to me and be like, oh, camouflage my favorite. I was a freshman in college, whatever, whatever. But there isn't, like, a group of people that generally consider any of my albums to be, like, a stop that might have been a stopping point for someone or a yeah. large group of people but consider see, this to be the signature record. So I'm always interested in having that happen early in your career and what that's like. That shit's bullshit. I think it's better when people connect to everything because it's frustrating when you can't get somebody to accept that you have more work. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like somebody will just be like, I don't know, So Damn Down is a Jam, Brooklyn Addy. It's like, motherfucker, that was almost 10 years ago. Like, not even, it was like eight, six years ago. We've literally put out three or four albums since then, and you know we put them out, but you just have chosen to just elect it to, and maybe that has something to do with more of their taste, like being like, well, I'm not really into underground. Like, I got other shit to do other than digest music. But I just feel like, you know, it's, it's I like I like that fan base. I like I like the fans that are just, Locked in and ready for whatever you're gonna throw at them. You know what I'm saying? And they can't identify a favorite versus people who kind of elect to. Okay, that was cool. I'm done with this. I mean, the and flip side of that is that the journey along the way is nobody. You know, ten yeah. years of nobody seeming like nobody gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, uh, but that's the thing. Like, and, and even when people connect to things, it feels like that because it feels like, well, you care, but you don't really care. Like, you care enough to like check in and tell me that you miss one thing. Not check in and be like, yo, that last thing you did was crazy. Or just even Google to see what you may have missed. Like you're on the internet. I'm right here. You can just look at my timeline and see what's going on. It's too difficult, man. <laughs> it is. Googling is hard, man. Googling, tweeting, all that shit, looking for researching is hard. <laughs> but let's take a quick break because I think uh, Dove needs it for editing. Hey guys, just a quick reminder. Rate, subscribe, review. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at BWN Podcast and drop us an email at BWNPodcast at gmail.com. We're not getting nearly enough listener letters, and it's cool to hear what you guys think and find out who you guys are. You know what I'm saying? I do want to connect with you. I really want to talk to people, if you haven't noticed. I talk to myself a lot. So talk to me, please. We're talking about, wait, well, before we just started back, we're talking about Red Hook Summer. We had to come back to this because Spike Lee's filmography was, for Woods, was a flashpoint. He well, I love Spike but, Lee. So don't, <laughs> I want to start, because I want to start well, I, conversations I, with I wanna, his worst movie of all. I, I want to say be, that we all love Spike Lee. Yeah, you know what but, I'm but like, I just want to clarify, yeah. because I think that there's a certain amount of, well, first of all, there are lots of white people who don't even pay attention to Spike Lee or dismiss him. And then there's a certain amount of black people who are like, I like Spike Lee until XYZ point. Yeah. And it's like, it's not that the guy hasn't made some bad movies, 
But overall, and he continues to make good movies. I mean, you could even look at something like Inside Man, which is not like life changing or so anything. Norton, no, uh, yeah, no, it was the bank Clive, robbery thing, Clive right? Owen and mm -hmm. uh, Denzel Washington. That, yeah, it was. And um, the African died. I'm thinking about 25th Hour. The African hour, died. Okay, yeah, I'm confusing that with 25th Hour. 25th Hour is an actual great movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Inside Man is just a very well executed, good movie. Um, like small little caper film done really well and uh, I think he deserves credit for that because a lot of times I see other people can't even pull that off you know they, they hold Spike Lee to the standard where it has to be it has to be amazing yeah. or it's trash I mean, that's what happened when like, you start off with do the right thing yeah you know what I mean like something and he has several class, like he has not several classes but like he's, he's made films that just knock it out the park so many times that when he makes a film that's just a great movie like that where it's just a good movie to watch like I guess critics and people alike are just like ah oh, but it wasn't it wasn't do the right thing or Malcolm X or you know what I'm saying and I feel uh, like to some extent, uh, if for a certain percentage of people, if it's not going to be something radical, then they're like, oh, yeah. And it's just easy to be like, Spike Lee fell off, and you didn't see the 25th Hour, and which is actually a great, yeah. great yeah. one of the best movies of the, in my opinion, American films post 2000, post 9/11, um, and just a good movie like Inside Man. But yes, Red Hook Summer is a major failure. <laughs> Drop the ball on all counts. Yo, my, and, my and what I was saying is to to elucid is that you can have untrained actors, but you got to pick the right people. Yeah, you got to pick the right people. Like Mackay Pfeiffer in Clockers is fucking perfect. But that's somebody Yo, who I gotta, saw I that. Fact check that. I still don't believe that's not that my is because that first critic. it is and that was the, he that had was never done any. It's I don't know why that's hard to believe. It's 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 people. Some people have that was talent a, and actually like can benefit. Was made for him. But some people can benefit from not having been through all that acting school and stuff I, I, because I they that. bring a naturalism to the thing. The same way sometimes there might be somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience in the studio, and you bring them to the stu to record. And they do things that you're like, wow, people wouldn't normally do that, but actually, yeah. works. that's fucking. They have a fresh approach because they don't have they don't have the like they don't have like the weight of like tra like tradition and, and education on them. They yeah, just yeah. Mm. Have that curiosity about them. You yeah, know and you have to have obviously there has to be some talent there. Yeah, uh, I can't say maybe Spike Lee also didn't give the kids the right direction or whatever, but the untrained actors in the movie were terrible. That shit was awkward. I didn't like the way it was shot. I didn't like the the look of the, the film. De you, the decision to use v video and all of that, and if he was going to do that, he should have put some sort of patina on it or he something. He always kind of experimented with that. It just looked like yeah. shit. Girl 6, he used that a little bit in. Uh, he did. Boozle, he used that a lot. Yeah, he did. Look. Sure, but that was as part of a piece and it was like, but he's, yeah, I guess it was of, for an effect. It was like a, a sprinkle yes, for an effect. And I it guess, wasn't yeah. the whole thing. One of my issues with, uh, is that normally in a bad Spike Lee movie, like I don't think Girl 6 is a great movie. I enjoy but it. then there's a great movie. <laughs> there was always a subplot. Okay, so Jungle Fever is the actual movie on top is kind of garbage. It's not very good. Inside the movie Jungle Fever is another smaller movie about the the decay of the black family, drugs, and a generational divide between these generations of black people. So you have Gator, and it's about drugs and its effect on the black family. And you have Gator um, and, and Halle Berry and that whole situation with the father, the reverend, who's obviously like almost a Baldwin-esque like father figure um, in his self-righteousness. And, uh, and just, I thought that that movie 
was great. Like, you could take that and make a great movie about, like... Leave the interracial dating part out and just have... Which was really, like, uh. pretty... There were no... No great insights were made in Jungle Fever. If you go back and watch that... It was just seen, though, like that, on, like, a major scale. I think you had Mississippi Masala maybe a little bit earlier. Which sure. Like, but, I mean, I'm just saying now, well, I'm like, holding you to great standards. You're one of the best directors of your generation. I can go back and say that, in general... No, nothing particularly interesting or revelatory in, is said about Hurst, I believe it was like yeah. right after Hawkins. Like Theory, the dude who made the movie Exodus about Moses, about some shit, he was yeah. saying he had to cast white people because if he brought like black people to the studios, nobody would have made it. Do you think Spike Lee maybe... <laughs> no, that's that's for real? It's real. Whoa. But do you think... Motherfuckers got mad. But do you think Spike Lee maybe threw that interracial dating thing in there to kind of like like slip the, slip the decay of the black family into like the script no because I think that I'm just I'm just being devil's advocate no, I, I, <laughs> I, but I think that's a feature of all because if you look at um, I also think it's a feature of if you look at Girl 6 um, the surface story about working this woman who ends up working at this uh, phone sex line it's fine it's not a great movie in there the underneath thing about uh her as a black woman and what she's dealing with, and then the thing with the guy who ran the newsstand, the guy, the baseball dude, her involvement with <laughs> these different men. There's a stalker, okay, right? right? Yeah, she, oh, the one she she eventually like gets like a little personal connection with. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. and that yeah. story is is interesting. Yeah, it is, and, and 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 makes it a movie that is still worthwhile. Just the same way I think Jungle Fever is a worthwhile movie. Whereas without that Gator storyline, it's pretty much just yeah, yeah, same whatever. Yeah. It could be on Lifetime. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then I feel the same way about. Um, give me, give me, give me some other, some other. Uh, so you you haven't seen the Sweet Blood of the Baby Jesus or whatever that thing is. Called. I have not it's even a horrible heard of it. Time. Yeah, Once he remade Old Boy, which I just like face at the decision for that? to do. He that. was. He was. Oh. I'll, I'll say. I'll say this. I'll say this. It's impossible to do an American remake that'll do a foreign film justice. That's I, not I true. I don't really think you can. I'm, okay, that, that, that is a really big blanket statement. That's 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 okay, like the vamp, let the right one in. I prefer the foreign movie by far, but I think they did it justice. What is it? Let the right one in? Uh, the little kid who, the lonely little kid who meets a little girl who actually is a vampire. I don't know what that is. And. Well, I won't say I won't it's a say Swedish all movie, film. and then they made an American version of it that's not as good. But I'll say American like it's difficult because like even the the incest angle that happens on um oh boy like they America they wouldn't let that happen like you know what I'm saying they wouldn't let it happen in the same way like there's a certain level of like censorship and conservative kind of like this conservative angle where they can't let art for art's sake not just be judged to a certain extent when it's based on like selling it. You know what I'm saying? I guess my point would be that Spike Lee's big mistake is attempting to make a movie, remake a movie that is so good yeah. that yeah. unless you get it exactly right, you're going to fail. Well, There's I'll reasons say why people don't like do too many like adaptations of Moby Dick. Yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're taking on a task that will be expensive, beyond a lot classic. of attention, and almost certainly fail. Yeah. 
But like the sweet blood of the baby, I keep. I don't know what this shit's called. <laughs> but yo, it's one of the. It's gorgeous. It's like some chilling circuit shit, right? The, here. the film the Beacon Theater. The, tour and play. <laughs> the sweet blood of the baby Jesus, <laughs> starring Tyler Perry. Tickets Two showings on Sun. Two on Sunday. <laughs> it's called um, the sweet blood, duh, sweet blood of duh, Jesus. D-A? He loves to yeah, spell yeah, yeah, things yeah. phonetically. But yo, like in terms of just how it looks, it is absolutely gorgeous. Mm. It's, it looks amazing. It's just the the storyline is dumb because it's, it's he says it's not about vampires. Yeah. But the dude is just drinking blood and turning people into vampires. So, and then Snoop from the Wire pops up, which is. Kind of a weird. I don't even know about this movie. And, you know, I, 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 <laughs> Yo, I'm almost scared. I'm scared for you to see it because I think now that you know about it, you're like, it's Spike. I'm gonna check it out. Well, he's on. Know. He's on a bad run right now. I don't. I, the old boy decision. <laughs> I kind of enjoy old boy a little bit, but I think it's because I like. I don't know. I just like Spike, so I, I gave it a chance. That that it's just to me. That's just there's certain things you know. Um, like I, uh, there's certain things I, I was thinking about um, how nobody has made a film adaptation of Blood Meridian, for example. Mm. Which I just lent you that book. Uh, you're taking on a Herculean task. You have to be, and even to do it, I was thinking um, somebody was talking about some skit they saw. Wait, where it was it, like, well, the only Cormac McCarthy novel that's become a movie was what? There Will Be Blood. They also did one with Woo, All the Pretty Horses. Great. Oh, okay, okay. All the Pretty Horses with Matt Damon. It's a pretty small movie. And they did a solid job. What's um, All the Pretty Horses about? Uh, it's part of this trilogy of border books, and it's about this 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 guy, this young, young man and his friend who decide to leave uh, the, uh, the ranch that they... The guy's father dies, and um, his mother's selling the ranch. I think, I'm pretty sure this is the one. And then they decide to go to Texas, uh, into Mexico, to on an adventure. They're young men, and to try and find work on a ranch and whatever, because that lifestyle is dying out in Texas where they live. And um, It's like turn of the century, like uh, right before World War One, I, I think, or right around World War One. And so anyway... Um, they go into Texas and a whole lot of shit happens to them. Sex and violence or violence and sex? Which one is more? It's pro- I mean, Cormac McCarthy is like brutally violent. Uh, there's plenty times. of violence yeah, and there's plenty, there's, plenty there's sex, of violence. Uh, but more, um, this, this guy, eventually uh, they end up working on this ranch and one of them falls in love with the ranch owner's daughter, which is a bad proposition. And numerous other things yeah. happened from there. Um, so they made one of that, and they also made The Road, however, the road however well. right, feebly. Right, right. Another movie that attempting, people are like, they did a terrible job. The reality is that trying to turn that book, what makes that book special into a movie, is extremely difficult. Um, so there are just tasks that you can undertake that I think will likely prove too much unless, I don't know, if somebody was going to do... To do old boy uh, is just really tough. I think that's one of the best movies I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, so, but I understand why he tried to go for it. But then it also seemed like he didn't get that much studio support because I didn't see a lot of ads or anything. I agree. Was I, some straight to Netflix shit. No, it, <laughs> was, it was in, straight to DVD. No, no it was. was I feel like it, it was in the theaters. It, it came, yeah. but it, it didn't it show on a lot theaters. of screens. It just, it just didn't wasn't on a lot of screens at all. Yeah, but the Red Hook and uh, whatever you're saying now, it sounds like is it the too sweet good? Sweet blood so. of Jesus. <laughs> Could be a bad run. But I really always thought, you know, he he had 
Even the 25th hour, the stories inside of that. Like, that's a great movie because the top story is great about this guy facing this situation, which is, it's a great, it's a great book and it's a great top story. And then inside of that, the story of this group of friends. And really inside of that, I feel like it's a story about men reaching a certain age and their insecurities about who they are and their yeah. future and their past. You know, because you have Philip Seymour Hoffman's character and his, like, thing with the with Anna Paquin, his student. Yeah. Where he's, like, sexually attracted to a student. You have Barry Pepper's character who's, like, Wall Street, make money, asshole, um, who inside of that is actually, like, a scared little boy. And then you have uh, Edward Norton's character who is sort of floated along, uh, you know, selling drugs and sort of just doing what came easiest and now the time has come to pay the price for the choices he made and um and his fears about being in that situation and where you go from there different i thought those story that story inside the story was also great and i think that when you looked at uh red hook summer he fucked up so many things that even the interior story, the the things, the great moments are just lost in this morass of amateuristic yeah. filmmaking. It feels like the um, the Sweet Blood of Jesus and Red Hook Summer, like whereas Sweet Blood of Jesus was highly stylized, like the creative consulting was crazy. Like he had Kahinde Wiley, like he had paintings in there. He yeah. obviously has somebody telling like like. So it looks uh, good. It's amazing. It looks amazing. The story is whatever. Versus Red Did Hook he Summer, write which. It? Yeah, no, it's it's an adapt it's an adaptation of a different of a foreign film. Okay. I don't know what film, but it's like it's like it's a remake. My bad, not that it's a remake of some foreign film. I forget what it's called. Frowny face. Based on some, <laughs> but versus Red Hook Summer, where it just was like kind of some weird filmmaker. Like it, the story was kind of there, but it just didn't go over visually. If he would have just it also didn't match those and together acting. And, acting, and acting, yeah. And even the Sweet Blood of Jesus. I hate saying the film's name. Yo, like, you said Jesus like 30 times. Jesus! <laughs> this is actually a low-key... Uh, sanctified episode right here. This is a religious podcast. Um, <laughs> this is a Christian podcast. We, broadcast we, we should definitely go from this into discussing uh, Elusa's next album. Now. Right, let's do it. Uh, what is your next album? Save Yourself. Save Yourself. Save Yourself. Let's talk about it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, We Underway. Maybe about uh, 40% into it. It would be uh, maybe like September. So why save yourself, though? I've been working on that idea for a minute. Uh, it just seems kind of relevant for life, where I'm at right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's fire. So It is. That song you sent me, that might be the best Ob one. Obama Incense? Yeah, that might be yeah, the Obama best Incense? one. Obama Incense? Obama Incense, yeah. <laughs> it's tough, <laughs> for, me to, it's tough for me to say. That might be the best one. Yeah. I listened to that the, the Milo collab you did, too. Oh yeah, I, just, I knocked that out the other day. That was really good. It was really good. Oh. So that's that means a really I, good. It's really Milo. That's a really good song, man. I uh, I like it. I need to hear this forty percent now. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll hear it immediately when it's done. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But um, it's really good. It's really really good. And you haven't even really dipped that far outside of the production circle. Everything yet, yeah, so everything so far. That's why I say it's forty percent. Everything that mm, maybe probably eighty five of that forty percent has been all like self produced. Oh uh, shit! Type, type. So, so now I'm kind of like just stepping out and just getting beats from other people, and I'm going to like that phase too. Yeah, yeah. Just getting some new sounds. So you wouldn't go all the way self-produced. I ain't ready for all that. Like I'm, I'm an MC. I'm yeah. an MC. I just fuck with beats. So I got that 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 chamber where I wanted to lock in for the album. I got that. Now I need to step out. Get yeah, yeah. Else. He did a bunch of beats on my next album too. So. And what's your next one called? 
Uh, it's coming out in a few months. It's called Today I Wrote Nothing. That sounds like That's the my first time entire... I said the title of this album, actually. Oh, shit. Yeah. Exclusive. <laughs> but the, your title, the title of your album literally sounds like my entire year. <laughs> like when it comes to rap. It's like every day I'm just like, I should write something, man. That's where, I, that's where I was, and not only with rap, but with anything except for my day job stuff. And um, uh, and so that's why I kind of... It's, a, it's actually the title of this book by this Russian absurdist writer, but uh, it, when I encountered the book in a very strange scenario, um, the title and the book itself were interesting to me. And, uh, and that's where I was at. I hadn't been able to do anything. Got people waiting for verses. Curly Castro waited for a verse for mad long because I was like writing. I was like, "This shit, this is garbage." After we did, um, furtive movements. Yeah, after we did furtive movements, I just just went into like a shutdown phase where I couldn't really do anything. And then I wrote an album very quickly, and I like it. Yeah, like a month and a half, to if that. No, it, from start Two to finish. Months? It was no. pretty quick. It was pretty no, quick. it was probably like. Uh, probably like three and a half certainly the fastest by far that i've ever done an album i do this weird thing where i'll like sometimes record stuff maybe even write a project like write a couple songs and fall out of fall so out of love with the idea that i'll just forget it exists you know what i'm saying and it's resulted in a lot of like i have at least four albums that i can name and play that nobody hold on you recorded them yeah that's amazing, but you have. <laughs> see, I don't have a home studio. I, I pretty so much it usually I, I, doesn't I do get to that. It usually doesn't get to that level because then by the time if I. But that's you have four albums, like actually not just four albums worth of songs, but distinct albums with themes and yeah, like like so some of them are just demos and some of them are like it's it's like really well fleshed out demo versions of albums. So I would say like in terms of being finished, each album is like sixty to seventy maybe 50 percent done you know what i'm saying but it's, it's fleshed out enough to the point where it has a title it has at least eight to twelve tracks how old is the oldest one of these and how new is the newest the oldest one is like oh seven which is why I'm, I'm i'm so far removed from the material on and it. how and how new the most the recent one? one is is the one that i'm toying with and I'm just kind of like it's almost on the you've almost got it in the in the discard you've almost got it on the shelf yeah the oldest like one is halfway. like I'm like I don't, do I want to mess with it I don't know it's just like a, a mainly self-produced thing and I'm just trying to figure out how I want to do it if I want to do song by song or like put out a full thing but I have a title for it and I've been working on it for a while and I have another thing <laughs> this is what I'm saying like, I mean I can, that's amazing to me like that's that's a significant but what you recorded? I mean, do you home, have no? actual albums that you fully I mean, show? Not not albums, but I mean, it's just like nothing to record like a sketch of an idea. Like it might be a sixteen bar, it might just be a hook, it might just but, be like. But a have chant, you made it, it fifty or sixty percent like, through a project and then I'll, I'll forget it. about? No, no, no. That's an interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, like I'll, I'll assemble the songs, I'll put them in a playlist, and I think sometimes for me, in a lot of ways, like discussing the idea that I have is as good as like doing the actual idea so I'm like I got this album idea for an album it's called Snow Angels and it's like 12 tracks about blah 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 how each snowflake is unique and I'll do all this explaining <laughs> to like six different people and I was like well six people have heard the album sort of you know what I'm saying it's just like the same as putting it out versus when I try to like hold the idea and nurture it and like really give it like attention and time then sometimes I make it that far into the album and I just start letting people hear it and it's just like well I'm tired of this shit do you, do so, you start off records with like knowing 
this is what it's gonna sound like. This I, is what I want to talk about. Usually, I start off records like I'll just be recording random songs, and then one day I'll look up like. It'll be like three or four months of just recording, writing random bits. Then I'll just look up and like, oh, this is kind of like a thing. Yeah, I, I, I do the same way. I, I just record. Like, I'm, I'm into like, just like the process of being creative. Yeah. Like, shit may not get done that day, but like, I might pick it up a year later and see a thread that, you know, I did last year that I'm doing today. And it's like, oh shit, it works. And I'm just, tie it together, you know? I just have a bad habit of talking to people that... I don't really know about what I'm doing. Like, so, and then like, so, yeah, I got this album coming out. Just like thinking out loud, like, yo, I'm working on reiteration, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you've been talking about this album for five years, dude. Like, you're not putting it out. It's a horrible habit. That's interesting, because, yeah, for me, the fact that I never have had recording at home, I think, changes the dynamic. Definitely. To where it's like, I don't know. When I was young, you would just be like, oh, I'm at the studio. You know, you'd be at your man's house who has some studio. You're paying studio. for time. Well, i pay for time one place, but then I'd be at, like, the producer's house, but, you know, on the regular, like, just smoking bunts and, like, recording whatever and just doing rap shit all the time. Now it's like, and for some time it's been like, I work on music mostly by myself and at home, and I don't have a studio or anything. So it's like, by the time I'm like, all right, I'm going to, go pay for studio time or I'm going to go trek to this person's house and try to record this shit. You know it's already I've already recorded. had to make some sort of decisions about yeah, what right. the fuck I'm doing Yeah. because nobody has time at my age for neighbors just to be coming <laughs> over and, you know what I mean, ashing their blunts all over your house and shit. <laughs> you yeah. know, they're like, what are you doing here? I'm getting are you here to do something? You yeah. know? It's definitely more non-committal, I guess, for me because I just have it at my disposal. Yeah, yeah. I can just, yeah. I can just click on the mic like at... 8 a.m. and Anytime. do a rough demo and then be like, okay, that idea is out. I'm, I'm into cool. that. I'm into that. Which would be, in, in many ways, I've spent much of my career wishing and trying to think how I would make that the situation. And I think for the first time in the last couple of years, I might have just been like, yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to do that. What about, this, what about this new record, though? It feels, uh, the, the vibe is more like off the cuff. Well, I recorded a lot like, at your unplanned. house, but yeah. it was still like... I had I, I I definitely had a plan because I wasn't writing anything until I started. I got the idea, and once I had the idea for what the album was going to be, it was like a train just steadily picking are, up steam. Like, are I you never, like a on the spot kind of writer? Or you like kind of write and then bring like when you when you come over to house to record, you write over there at times, or you bring. Stuff I used over to. That's record? how I used. But nowadays, like shit, when I get to the studio, the songs have been edited. There are exceptions to this. But they've been edited, you know, I've worked on it for whatever amount of time. The shit is set up, like, everything is laid out. I'm just recording. Or I get to Willie Green's, especially if I'm going to Willie Green's, and it's like, everything is pretty much ready to go. We're going to knock it out. I have X amount of time. Like, motherfuckers have shit to do. Even if I go to a Luce's house, this motherfucker gets home at, like, 8. Yeah. And then he lives in East New York, so it's like, he's home at 8. I get out there could fuck around for a couple hours it will already be 11 and then i gotta go walk to the j train and take that back to my house you know so you gotta be a bit more diligent and more like yeah it's out. not like versus I'm not trying to versus me that. recording versus literally while i'm cooking like i'll just be like all right this can i got 15 <laughs> minutes let me just do some <laughs> when i went I, when i was last time i was out west i went to aesop rock had just moved into a new crib and i went to his house and dude moved with a booth he has like a physical booth yeah. that he takes with him places. And so 
I was thinking about that because he was talking about how, like, for him, like, rap just takes up so much of his life and time. And I was thinking, man, if I had... He has a monument to rap in his room. It's like yeah, a fucking statue, statue of it's, rap. It's, it's a rap there, <laughs> And there's, like... A, a full studio booth. Yo, you with know like the glass partition and everything. Oh, he has like so. Uh, your J fifty seven. I don't know if you know, but a brown bag J fifty seven. Like he has a same thing. He has like this huge booth he built in his fucking like second bedroom. And I'm just like, I go over there, I'm like yo, this is amazing. I wish my shit was like this because I think I think when it's that level of of. Like my, like when you make a monument to rap in your house, it becomes more of a thing. Versus for me, it's just, it's like a, a book that I can put down. It's, it's literally my MacBook. I just open it up, rap, close it. You know what I'm saying? Versus going yeah, 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 to yeah, do yeah, yeah, Y'all be at the Stadium Red, though, so that's why you could do we that. We used to be at Stadium Red. Y'all love here just blazing the We used room. to be at the B room, ordering chicken wings. <laughs> we, oh, man, look. They got the book. They're looking through Straight the book. The Chinese takeout Oh, man, menu. I miss the days of looking through the book. We love it. Look at the book, man. We were, yo, man, I was up front. The rubber soul days, that was a good time. That was a really good time. <laughs> uh, that, that, so, yeah, when I saw it or when I see that or talking to you guys, I definitely think about, like, man, if I had, like, a studio booth in my house, there might be points at which, because I might write something and be like, I think this is working, but yeah. I'm going to have to go through it more. But I have to really, in my head, be like, is it working? You know what I mean? And, like... Also, it doesn't make sense, like, if you live, you know, I live with somebody, I'm just going to go, I don't know, it'd be weird to just go rap in a room, you know, like, I'll just rap while I listen to it in my headphones, but I'm not recording, I don't have any means of really recording, and just thinking about, would I just, like, at 10.30 at night, just be like, uh, you know what, I'm going to take a break and go in the other room and just knock out this idea I had, it would just change my whole way of approaching... You know, because yeah, when I was yeah. talking to Aesop, he was like, yeah, you know, like, that's literally rap takes up X amount of time in my life. And I mean, rap takes up a lot of my life, but a lot of times I'm also waiting. Right. Like I have shit written and worked on and I'm just waiting to make the schedule so I can see if the shit works. Because you never really know it works. Yeah. Till it's recorded. Yeah. Like, you can have some shit that seems ill at your house, but until it's recorded, you're not really sure what's up with it. Um, so, I don't know. There are aspects to which I, I, I am jealous of that, and then there are aspects to which I like that um, I do have that studio experience that I think... I was talking to him about this, too. It's like, sometimes, if I've waited a long time to record something, and I have, like, four or five joints that I think are good... I'm going over there, I'm amped, you know, you get to the studio, I'm like, green, I'm ready to go. I like knock them out one by one by one because I've spent so much time thinking and planning about how I'm going to do the song. And then you have that, you know, like that whole studio experience of like coming home and being like, I'm about to listen to my shit right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and there is a cool aspect to that of Def being like, yeah, definitely. I went there to do this. I came fully prepared. I knocked it out. And then I have this big revelatory experience of like things that I've been living with for a month, two months, purely in my head, suddenly being tangible. Yeah. It's like giving birth almost. Like, cause um, the thing we just put out, we just put out like a quick little EP, a Tanya Morgan. 12 thing. minutes with Kareem. Yeah, yeah. So, what's I, that? It's, uh, it's like we took, we wrapped over Kareem Riggins alone together. We just took like six beats and like cobbled together a little EP, just something to throw out for free. But, so it already existed, like, Vaughn had six minutes at Kareem's, and he put it out via email and text message in a weird way. Like, if you knew him or, like, was like, yo, let me hear that thing you did, he would send it to you. But it wasn't on blogs, it wasn't, like, 
some shit that everybody put out. And I heard it, and I was like, yo, I want to rap to this shit, too. I want to I add on, because we haven't had a Tanya Morgan release since Rubber Souls. So I, I wrote all of my shit on Chris, between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Like, I, I started writing a little bit, and the Christmas Day I woke up, wrote the majority of it. And then that night, I went home, and like the next, I, I went home and like sequenced everything. And the next day I woke up and just recorded it. And it was a, a cool feeling to like record and be like, yo, I'm going to wake up to an EP. Like, I'm going to wake up and have something new to listen to. And I think that, you know, like having my own setup and treating it kind of like just something to do whenever, it makes, it, it kind of removes that anticipation. It's like, not you know, an event. Yeah it's, yeah, it's definitely not an event. Whereas you get the event feel every time. Yes, there yeah. is though that, that whole like, it's going to be three weeks before I... But, you know, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a, it's a different trade-off. I think it's interesting, actually, for Lucid. I'm curious how your situation has changed now that you've moved... You know, your living situation has changed. You're living with your brother, who you make music with. Um, it was funny, because I'm crediting brother, brother Hall for Carpetbagger, right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. That's a Brother Hall I just, production. I just wrote brother, Hall. brother Hall, shut up. So him and his brother together, Brother Hall on production. Oh, shit. And so when you go over the crib, they kind of have a central area with all of the music stuff in there. And so I'm uh, marginally curious about how that's changed things. Because, I mean, I haven't... It's been years since I lived with another person who was also... I did music with in any way, or... When I lived with uh, Essex Dogs, when I lived with Patrick, it was like that to a certain extent where it was like, he might be making a beat and then I just come in and start writing. Yeah. That's how, sometimes that's how I work, you know what I mean? When I, usually when I come home, my brother's usually working on something and I'm like, yo, that's dope, that's dope, you should do this, you should do this. He's like, fuck you, I do what I want. Or sometimes I'll come out I'll like write raps or whatever, or like I might have something like, like a basic loop and I'm like, yo, can you add this, add some drums, give me a bass line or whatever. So it's just like a constant like, uh, back and forth are your schedules different to where um yes yeah, you'll are... like come home and he did something and he's on his way out yeah for sure for sure and then you're like oh okay. yeah he might have worked That'd on something cool. in the afternoon yeah. he might have worked on something in the afternoon and i get home when i do and then he's like he's out he's out to work at like 10 o'clock that's so how i'm uh... like sitting with this joint i'm like let me work this out and then when he comes back in the morning he'll have something to add on to that would be that would be know? cool that's how uh tony 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 did sons of house of Sons of Soul. No, House of Music. Yeah. yeah. Like, Raf they would, like, work on things bits and pieces. So, like, one would, like, Raphael would do whatever and leave it. Yeah, I don't, I don't have the attention span to really sit down and f plow through a lot of things at one, in yeah. one sitting. I need, like, bits and pieces. I'll come back to it. It'll get finished. But <laughs> I need to work on my own pace, you know? But, yeah, uh, so I wanted to uh, touch on the name Arm and Hammer. Like, where's the name from? Uh, I thought up the name. And then the main discussion, uh, we, we, it was interpreted differently. You, yours was a uh, arm and hammer, as in the baking. Well, soda. yeah, I was like, like but I came so visually. But I was also thinking. I was also thinking. I was also thinking two things, like two objects: an arm and a hammer. Yeah. That together, then it's a something that works differently. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? A hammer can't do anything on its own. Your arm obviously can do things. It cannot. But not yeah, as powerful. Yeah, like, so, you can't break a brick unless yeah, you're Bruce so, Lee. <laughs> so that aspect, you know, it was funny because I was home and my mom had just showed me something she's she written. She's retired now, but she's still writing. And she showed me something she was written, and I asked her something about it. And she was saying how like she always likes everything that have multiple meaning, and that's like my whole thing, especially titles and things like that. I want 
meanings layered in all all levels. So it was like, yes, it's two things. Yes, it's baking soda. Um, yes, it's also kind of an aspect of like uh, I was also thinking about um, like the hammer and sickle, so you yeah, know, yeah. and just that's, like that's a, what I thought. Just about. like uh, I don't know. I grew up in a family um, that was really into. My father was really into stuff like that, like revolutionary ideology. And so there was always like slogans and like iconography, you know what I mean, of um, of the move of ver whatever various movements that they were. Um, and so I was just thinking on all of those levels, and I also thought it sounded good. Yeah. So I came it's to him and I was like, say. but I also know chat. I know elusive, so I was like, we need different. I was like, I see it three ways. It could be Arm and Hammer written out with no breaks. Like, yeah. So it's like arm and hammer. Arm and hammer. Yeah. 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 Or I, I was that. like arm and hammer with the ampersand. With the ampersand. I like that even. Or you could make it arm, arm you know, arm. Arm, arm like like it looks like it a looks person. like it's it a almost name. sounds like a like a like a, a German synth band or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, right, right, right. <laughs> until you hear the music. But the name itself, Arm and Hammer, is such a strong name. Like that shit is fun to say, and it sounds. It sounds like the music. It sounds like some sort of aggressive name. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't sound like it doesn't. It matches the music in a way. Word. You yeah. know what I'm saying? If only I had put that level of thought into my own rap name. <laughs> <laughs> Could have gone far in this game. Uh, but yeah, thank you. I I I I, uh, I like that. That's generally I would be like, not all the time because he definitely thinks of a lot of titles. But I, I'm pretty good at coming up with names for things, and then I try to come up with like several and be like, okay. This is the idea yeah, or whatever, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm... Honestly, nope. like, the Tanya Morgan thing was kind of inspiring. It's like, you have three dudes. Yeah. But Tanya Morgan's a woman. It's like that persona thing. Like, three people as one. How like did a, that actually like happen? Like a corporation type shit. You know what I mean? So, I, mean, I, I was thinking about that it. when I was, like, Arm and Hammer as a name. I was definitely thinking about the Tanya Morgan thing as well. I would say, like, so the Tanya Morgan thing, I'm I mean, I'm, I'm sure your listeners know this already and don't care. Some people don't know. I care. <laughs> like, the uh, the name itself, me and Vaughn were, like, um, just trying to think of a name that didn't sound like a rap group, A, and B, was really just, like, off-putting. You know what I'm saying? So we wanted it to be a person, and at first it was going to be a man, and I was like, let's just make it a woman. I don't know why, let's just make it a woman. And... The name Tanya in itself was just like, I, we were throwing out names of just like old soul singing, like soulful names. And I came up with Tanya and he was like, let's spell it with an A. So for a long time, I was pronouncing it Tanya. Hold on, hold on. Is there another way of spelling Tanya? T-O-N-Y-A. See, I think of that as Tonya. See, I've... Anyway, go Cincinnati. ahead. But that's like, so if you listen, <laughs> yeah, if you listen I mean, to I don't Moonlighting, know, you know, I don't know. this is another thing know. about Moonlighting that bothers me. If you listen to it, I'm saying Tanya on everything, and he's saying Tanya on everything. Because we hadn't met, you know what I'm saying? We were just recording out. I don't know this. Okay, so we did the, we did the, the, the we did Moonlighting over the internet. We hadn't met before. And we had like maybe even had hadn't even had a phone conversation. Free blog. I remember free, this. Free blog. But you guys, that shit blew. Was that part of how it blew up? Was it kind of like the um? What's that? What's that other group that was only over the internet? The the foreign exchange or the postal service? Foreign foreign exchange. Yeah. So it was it was around that same time, but um, our thing was more about like the foreign exchange was pretty much just specifically about two people who met online making music. Tanya Morgan was more so about being a bit deceptive and like, you know, like an air of mystery. We had a little bit of mystery. Um, but yeah, the name itself, it was just about trying to trick people. Plus, we also thought it was a one-off project. So we thought we were going to do that and never do another project. 
You know what I'm saying? So Tanya Morgan, even to this day, we have we have a final album in mind. Like we have like the idea for the last album. It's not like gonna go forever. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's the first time I've ever said that wow. in public. But yeah, we've we've we had several conversations about what the last album is and how it's gonna look and how it's gonna sound. Because, you know, I feel like it's a story that has to end. Like if you listen to uh UN One Army on the intro, we make a we have a skit because one of the members of the group left. So in the intro of that album, there's a skit where he literally leaves the group at the beginning of the album and we rap without him. And he's on the new album. But it'll definitely be it. There, there's definitely like an end to the story. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's it. That, uh, that's, that's pretty interesting to me. And it's funny because I remember that record really well because I put out a record of, I don't know what record it was around then. And I remember being like, damn, man, I got to find a way to get some <laughs> get people to look at my shit. Because, you know, back then I would go check and see, is anyone writing? And I remember I was seeing that album everywhere that I was like, man, that's where I need to be. We what the fuck am I doing wrong? And I remember you had the cover, the eyes were blacked out. Yep. And I remember being like, oh, that's interesting because I didn't know if that would continue. And we sent out, we sent out cassettes to all of the, uh, like... We sent cassette tapes out. We pressed up cassettes, exclusive cassettes that weren't for sale, and sent them out to people like key press people. We did a lot of we did a lot of work to get that album seen. And I would say with Brooklyn Addy, we did even more work. But Brooklyn Addy was where we decided to not be as artsy, cool, and just kind of be like, we're, we want to be on the album cover. We want people to know it's three dudes and not a woman. We kind of started trying to push away from the fun part of it. You know what I'm saying? Like the quirk of it and, and make it more about Okay, like in my mind, Brooklyn, the second album, we should have switched the name of the group to Brooklyn Addy and let the album be named Tanya Morgan. Like that's in my mind what should have happened. And you know, it was because if, if we were really trying to pull away from, if we were trying to be about the group being about the faces, the men in the group, as opposed to like the theme of the name, I feel like we should have like did some kind of switch just to let people really know. But you know. I don't know where that would have left us today. Yeah, so. yeah. So it's hard to it's hard to see. So I mean, I've done a couple different group things, so it's always hard to. They all have their own dynamic. It's fun because Vaughn's gonna hear this. He's gonna be like, "So let's talk about this." <laughs> you want to leave the group too? You got beef. <laughs> but I think we're running a little. I think we need to uh, get out because what are we like? Well, what are what time are we at? Like two thirty. Yeah. Kind of run along. So what's the, uh, is there anything I want to, oh, New Year's. Any kind of New Year's, are you resolutions? Folk, do you guys make any sort of year-based goals? Annual, <laughs> annual evaluations, if you will? Uh, or do you I assess your life? I have passed in my life, but I'm probably not. The last time I really did that was probably to quit smoking cigarettes. Have you quit? I did quit smoking cigarettes. When did you quit? A long time ago now. Congratulations. Uh, six years maybe. I'm at about I'm at about six eight years. So a long time. I kind of I I, w I wasn't like a smoker smoker, but I was like one of those casual smokers who would pick up a pack and smoke it really fast and then not smoke again or like smoke cigarettes here and there like a bar smoker. Like yeah. I was smoking bars when I'm drinking, and I quit doing that about six about six years ago. Well, I when I when I when I turned thirty, I I quit buying cigarettes and would only smoke when I drank, but I was a borderline alcoholic, so I, 
<laughs> I was still smoking every yep. day. Um, and they would get free cig. Camel would do those free cigarette promotions, so you would just get free cigarettes. Yeah, but then you might end up with like some sort of weird like off-brand, you know, you end up with some weird or something. flavored Marrakesh cigarettes with like yeah, a sexy black so. pack. Sexy black and neon green package and shit. <laughs> shit was bad. But I guess for this year, all I really thought about was, um, you know, for the label last year, we, we were pretty quiet. We did the Furtive Movement record and, um, and thank you to everybody. We saw some sales at the end of the year and everybody who wrote about it, you know, I know it was kind of an EP and it didn't get a big push. Um, it was only on vinyl, but uh, I appreciate everybody who came out and supported that. But it was a quiet year. We just did that little EP. And um, and so this year, we're gearing up for three releases. Uh, doing this today, I wrote nothing, my solo, in, uh, it looks like, early March. Um, and then uh, doing this Henry Canyons record. Shout out to Henry Canyons in L.A., um, in the spring, some point, still uh, waiting to be exactly sure, and then we got Save Yourself in the fall, winter, so it's a big year, and uh, you know, hoping that it goes really well. I'm sure it will. I mean, I, I love the records, and I have a uh, that that one's not even done, but I'm not even worried about where that one's gonna be. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just pretty amped about that, and I guess if I did have a New Year's res resolution. It's uh, to get on the road more, mm. um, and I have a dream, you know, which is an area that I have not excelled in for various reasons, and I have, like, a dream scenario in which we're able to do some sort of, like, short backwards tour where it's, like, uh, Woods, Henry Canyons, Elucid. Then we could also, like, do an Arm & Hammer set at some point. That would be um, dope, yeah. I feel like that would be an ill self-contained tour. Maybe add one other person or something like that would be nice. Um, and then, yeah, whatever. Just try to get out on the road more and do the more shows more. The time. road is tricky, but it's definitely still... You almost got to treat the United States like Europe at this point. Like, you know how, like, like I say that meaning, like, you can't... You just got to go. Like, Airbnb spots. Or just, you know, just do some old crash couch surfing kind of shit to get on the road we used to tour a lot we're, we're rebuilding our touring right now i mean that's just an area that i really have not done very much in like i've gone and played like a couple spot dates in a row or whatever but for me it's just either you know three months straight the, on the road i mean it doesn't even have to be that i if we did eight seven dates in a row i'd be cool with yeah, that you know but just the simple fact of either i need to find somebody who's going to put me on to the shit they're doing or I need to just go ahead and book the things myself and, you know, either we'll lose money or we'll make money. But uh, I'd really like to try and make that happen a bit more. Yeah, I, um, my ideal touring situation is two weeks on, one week off. Like, if I could have it my way, I would be off at the beginning, end of the month, on in the middle of the month. Like, I would want to come home and pay my bills and make sure my apartment was still standing and intact. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like, and then, like, just leave in the middle of the month. But um, and I'm sure, Lucid, your your New Year's resolution is save yourself. Save yourself, man. That's, that's it. Right. That's all. <laughs> and that's all encompassing. Like you know what I'm saying? That's like it. It, that's it. That's resolution La enough. Laser focus. Just fucking go. You obviously giving away your personal details of your own business, but you also change your uh, your uh, employment situation somewhat. Yeah, personally, I mean, it is. There's some things there. So yeah. 2015 new year new me you on that first page of 365 <laughs> what is that for this is the first page of a 365 page chapter what day is it is it the third it is, is the, the 
2015. No man. one in this room knew. I gotta cancel Sorry, my. I didn't know either. I have to cancel my Mad Mimi account before they charge me, which is uh, shit. Can I get on? Can I get on out here? I need your Wi-Fi code. What is that? Uh, it's the email newsletter. Yo, that, that's oh, the right, new right uh, buy buy a sweater. Keep the tag on. Yeah. Don't sweat in it. Pay for one month of email. <laughs> Run that bitch into the ground. <laughs> plan plan like a week's like plan every week's email blast and just get off of that shit. I can't afford. Fucking seventy five dollars a month for a calendar year to send emails. That's just too much. What is it? What is it called? Uh, it's Mad Mimi. Mimi. It's an email service. Oh. Yeah. Backwards uses uh Mailchimp. But yeah, let's get out of here. Okay, thank you very much, whoever might listen and <laughs> our hosts. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have everything in the in the show description. But thank you guys for coming to the show. Thank you. Thank we'll you. continue to hang out now without everybody listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... You hear this shit? You hear them, like, banging on the walls. You hear that loud hum? I gotta get the fuck out of here, man. Uh, Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Um, yeah. I'll see you guys next week. Hopefully this, this noise stops so that I can have at least a couple of hours of silence before I go DJ. Jesus Christ. Man. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Say to the mic, say bye-bye. Bye-bye.